Hello, and welcome to the Superhero by Design podcast, a show where we interview real life superheroes. My name is Ace, and I'll be your host. I'm really gonna have to step up my game today. In front of me, we have a man who is both a business leader and filmmaker. If I ever want my chance to make it into the limelight, this is it. Kidding aside though, this man is the epitome of passion and creativity. He has produced award-winning feature-length narrative and documentary films. For the last decade, he has worked with brands such as REI, Rakuten, Outside TV, CBS, and the Big Ten Network, helping them craft messages that inspire, inform, and endear them to their audiences. I've also had the honor to meet this man recently, so I know this is going to be a great show. Please welcome Kevin Marcus Aurelius Weaver. Kevin, welcome to the show. Oh man, I need to bring you to meetings with me. Like that would that was a that was great. I should just like have you do that, and then like get bring in a fog machine, and then I'll come out like you know play uh play the bowls uh whatever the song when the you know uh when the the bowls game started. I can't remember the name of that song now, but that was epic. <laughs> Thanks, Ace. Well, I appreciate it, man. Kevin is the CEO of Blue Line a creative production studio specializing in video and photography that delivers meaningful stories to their audiences, driving human connection. Check out his website at thisisblueline.com. You can also find Kevin, shoot, on IMDb, which is so freaking cool, by the way. I'm a little starstruck right now. And you can follow him on Instagram at thisisblueline. Alrighty, since I start off friendly before I get into the grilling part of the show, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine today. It's like, uh, it's a, I'm in Bloomington, Indiana, and it's warm and cloudy, which I kind of like. It's, uh, it's moody. Uh, I like sad music, so uh, it's, I'm doing all right, Ace. How are you doing? I'm doing incredible, and I love that you started off telling people that you're in Bloomington, Indiana, because I have a connection with you that you probably aren't aware of my mother went to IU Bloomington a right. long, long time ago. She's a fellow Hoosier, as I know you are. So there is, there is a strong connection there for sure. Oh, that's awesome. No, I, lo- I love hearing that because, uh, yeah, a lot of folks either know about this, you know, IU basketball. They don't really know much about Bloomington. It's a, it's a great place. And I keep finding connections like that. So. Uh, incredible. Good, good well, to hear. My mother always told me that one of my biggest uh, idols, um, David Letterman, went to IU around the time that she apparently went there as well. I haven't looked it up. I haven't gone on to IMDb to look him up yet, but I have looked you up. And uh, but I keep saying, I keep telling people I've got that connection to David Letterman. So maybe one day I can get him on the show because of the the IU connection. Oh, that's, that's awesome. I, I don't want to burst. I, should I burst your bubble? I'm pretty sure you went to ball state. Cause there's stuff named after him oh. there, but now I'm like, I'm really tempted to tab over and Google it though. So I can't totally confirm it, but I hate to be the, uh, I like trivia games too. So, uh, yeah, I think he went to ball state. All maybe, right. Well, maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. Maybe he just, but he gave all the money to Ball State, so he either went to both. Maybe he went to both. I'll give you that. Gotcha. And like Ball State was was grad school because we were always jealous of the Ball State kids. I went to IU as well, and all the Ball State kids they got uh, access to camera equipment like earlier than we did. So we'd drive up to Ball State and want to get on their productions, and it was always because or people told us, "Oh, it's because Letterman gave all the gave all the money to Ball State." <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Well, I. I wish my mother was here to defend herself, but I will defend her. I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. Letterman went to Bloomington and I'm sticking with that story. All so right. you had mentioned going to Ball State for film. So was film something you were always interested as a child or was it something you fell into? Can you give us a little bit of a backstory on, on your history with filmmaking and photography in general? Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I, I didn't know I wanted to be uh, a filmmaker. That was um, something that I, I discovered in college. If you had asked me in high school what I wanted to do, I think I might have had that confidence that you didn't really earn, you know, in, in high school where you just kind of 
maybe pretend. Um, I was dead set. I told people I was going to be a senator, which now I say that it almost makes me cringe to like say those words. I can't believe that there was a person uh, who existed who thought that was what he wanted to do. And I think it all it was all just back to like, I happen to be good at a thing. And I, I did debate in high school. Uh, and that was just it was my passion. I love debate. Um, I just found it so invigorating to, you know, argue with people and um, research and and I think I thought I was good at that. So I said, okay, uh, I'm good at debate. I should be a lawyer, probably. Like, so I was, I was on that path. And then I think I just wanted to win. So I was like, I'll, I'll be a senator. But I really believed it. And again, now I'm, uh, it's amazing how life throws you differing, different experiences. So I, I went to IU. I was a public uh, legal affairs major. Uh, I said, all right, I'm going to, you know, do this. I'll, then I'll go to law school. And I, even on my freshman year, I was like, I'm going to be an RA. That's going to save money. And I was on this like very straight, like lawyer RA path. And I met, uh, you know, just one of my dear friends who was on my floor. His name is Matt Rice. And we just really connected. And he was uh, a filmmaking major, uh, going in that path. And I think one day he just asked me, he was doing a show on IU TV, like the student television kind of side of things. And he's, he's like, Oh, I need, I need a host. It was, it was called home sweet home, which was basically like MTV cribs was really big at the time. Okay. Uh, but it's like, imagine MTV cribs with a host, but in people's dorm rooms. And he said, I thought you, I think you'd be a great oh, host. And yeah, and I did. And I went and I was a host and it's really hard to imagine though. I've, I've looked at old footage. Imagine a person with hair like yours, uh, you know, uh, and then oh, I had the like all locks. Of, I had them. Uh, yes, they've my, it's migrated south, basically. Not too far south. Uh, <laughs> I basically had wristbands, like all of the Live Strong bands like that was popular. I had them like up to my elbows. It was looking at it's almost obnoxious too. you know, you see these like versions of yourself as you as you get older. Um, I had so much fun doing that. It was really it was I was in front of camera at the time. Okay. Uh, and I really haven't been in front of camera since then, really. But um, I loved it. And I I just wanted to hang out on set. And so I, I made a switch pretty quickly thereafter. And I, I said to myself, you know, I think you always try to justify everything. I said, okay, well, you can still go to law school. It doesn't matter what the hell you major in. You know, you could, I could just be a film major. And then if I want to go to law school still, I'll take the LSATs, but I may as well like try something different. And so I just kind of went down that path uh, after, after that and kind of dove, dove straight in. What, what was it specifically? Do you remember that really moved you and got you on this new path? I think I, there's actually a couple of things. I, I don't think it was any, it's probably like a, you know, when you look back on it, it's easy to tell the story that I told, right? Uh, that it's like, I, this happened and then it was over, but it was probably really like a series of little things that, that did it. I think a couple of things. I remember going to the law library uh, for one of my public affairs classes. And honestly, it just like seemed sad and everyone was, it was so quiet. And I think I confused what I liked about debate um, with legal, but I think I liked the performative aspect of it more than I liked the sitting in the researching. I liked the research side, but it was to get to the event. It was to get to the, you know, on the podium doing a cross-examination. And I think there was that energy and excitement on set where everyone was working together to kind of do something challenging and creative. I think that energy really just kind of got me uh, after a while. And it's still what I enjoy most today is I work with, you know, different group, uh, the same group of people oftentimes, and we're going out on missions and they're always a little bit different. There's always a war story uh, that, that you can tell about, oh, what happened on the shoot in Nashville? I've, I've had a Nashville, you know, been there for a shoot. That was uh, actually that shoot had no nothing terrible go wrong. Or what happened to the shoot in Eastern Maryland where we had to film at three in the morning to film people at a Cisco plant? You know, it, it's just, I think it really... Um, the variety and the excitement and the challenge. I think that really um, kind of just drew, drew me in. It was, it was hard. It was hard, but it was fun. Uh, and I think 
it kind of I think it got me in that flow state more, which is probably what I really enjoyed about debate was being in that flow state where it was just about listening and coming up with a counter argument. And I think being on set is kind of the same thing. You're you have to be thinking quick on your feet and moving. And that's when days just kind of kind of melt away. Yeah. I know I haven't been on too much film myself, but Zach Day has been on the show and yeah. you were his BIA at Undisputed Mastery. And the little bit that I saw when Zach came to Nashville to film my brand story, there was a lot of last minute tweaks. We had an idea of what we were going to do, but we had a short time frame, just a day and a half. Weather was crazy. I think it dropped down to like 25 degrees that morning. And we did shoots before it, the sun even came up. So just last minute things happened. We really had to kind of be on our toes and still film, still push through. And so it sounds like just like debate, I haven't done debate personally, but I know of debate, you know, you're, you're under pressure. You are having to perform. You are having to obviously debate your points, counterpoints, and you don't know what the opposition is going to throw to you. So it sounds like those similarities is what you loved about debate and you found it through, through film. Yeah. And I think the thing that really hit me one day, and I, this is probably years after I, I went down the path, because you know I almost forgot about debate um, at a certain point. Like I didn't have this realization that, oh, this is what I like about debate. Now I'm going to do film. That wasn't, that's what I look back on now. Like that is my, uh, uh, you know, hindsight telling me like, oh, this makes sense now as I paint this picture of my past or try to, you know, make it uh, make sense. But I think it was the argument side of it. You know, you're debating someone, you're trying to convince them of this or that or whatever. But I think I love, um, you know, I think it's a, you know, film or media or entertainment. It's, it's, it's all propaganda in some ways. Like there's, there's usually an intent. It's like whether you use it for good or for evil. Right. Um, But all of the different pieces of the puzzle that you have that make an argument, you know, if you, for, I'm trying to convince someone to buy this or to like this mission or to feel about this story, you're using like, all right, let's do fast images here uh, because that's going to make somebody feel uh, frenetic and that's going to, uh, you know, make them have tension and then we'll slow it down here. It's the same as like an argument, basically. Uh, it's just with even more, it's, with, it's basically like the most complex form of an argument with more tools. You have music, you have images, you have this infinite way that you can combine it together. So it's just like this beautiful, giant, beautiful puzzle that can make somebody that's better than words. Words can only get you so far when you marry it with, you know, images and music, you can communicate things that you can't otherwise communicate. I think that always that beauty there, that, that is always this aspiration that I, I think I probably gravitated towards too, because I think we all just have trouble with communicating um or and i think i there even if it was i always i started with these like family videos that's what i really to cut my teeth i just like filmed my friends they got annoyed at me they were like why do you always have a camera around like you know knocking it away and i just didn't know what else to film i just wanted to practice but it was and then i'd cut these little videos together but i think like me trying to communicate what i felt was beautiful and this human condition um in a way that I couldn't do it with words. I think that always was all the things left unsaid. Maybe this, you know, superpower uh, can, can let me say the things that I don't know how to say. Now that, that has got probably that, that uh, pure vision has probably got, you know, thwarted with uh, once, once you start doing like commercial work and stuff like that. But I, I still say, think yeah. that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, here's this grand vision. <laughs> Hey, the Super Bowl commercials are pretty darn inspiring. So it yeah. is possible if, if Doritos can do it, anybody can do it. That's right. Which is actually why I like documentary style better than I like uh, uh, kind of uh, narrative uh, style. Basically, I just uh, I love I think there's more there's more purity to it, in my opinion, um, or at least what I prefer, because I am at least working with real people. 
um, as opposed to fictionalized uh, stories. I find that this really nice bridge, basically. Gotcha. So narrative would be fiction. Uh, like fiction films versus nonfiction. Yeah, basically documentary style. Gotcha. Uh, I really, I like both and I've, I've worked in both, but there's just something so sacred about documentary style. I mean, you know, when you are, you know, being on camera for, for your video, there's an exchange that happens or when you interview people for your podcast, there's this, there's something happening here, right? Like in a conversation. And I still think like that part of, of making a documentary, the, there's like that responsibility almost of, of telling someone's story. Um, I just find that a, like a sacred space. It's interesting that you say that because I love documentaries. My Netflix only shows me documentaries. That algorithm has got <laughs> me on documentaries. However, I noticed a lot of documentaries. I'm I'm big on the earth. I love animal documentaries, things about the planet, being green. And I've watched so many of them that there's parts of me that feels like the world is going to end tomorrow if we don't make drastic changes. And that was a huge bummer to me because I had to stop watching those types of documentaries, even though they're informative, you know, the ocean needs our help. But at the same time, they're doing what a lot of news outlets do where they're pushing fear. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. And I had to take a step back and, and tell myself if I'm consuming these documentaries all the time, I think the world will end before the end of my lifetime. And that I don't know. It it just reminded me that what you said earlier, yes, even documentaries are told from the perspective of the person filming, producing, putting it together. And with that power, Spider-Man would say, comes great responsibility. And yes. so as the producer, it is very much your responsibility to your clients, to the people you're filming, that their truth comes out in the way that speaks to them. Right. Yeah. Objectivity is, doesn't exist in that way. Once the camera is there, objectivity is gone, right? Unless you're literally have like hidden camera style stuff, but then you lose that when you start piecing it together uh, and editing it and making, having an opinion about it. All of a sudden, when you choose a song, when you decide where to cut and what, decide what to leave out, you're, you're choosing, you're altering reality, right? So it's never, Anything we watch is not truth in in that way. It is a truth. It is someone's truth. It is, uh, you know, potentially. I found that um, to be. I still find that to be to be challenging, um, depending on 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 what we're working on. I think where I end up drawing the line is: is this doing justice? To someone's story. Sometimes I don't have that choice. Sometimes the the end choice is with the person who's paying for it. Uh, if it's not something that um, I've, we've done a couple that we've <laughs> whoops. Yeah, user error over here. Sorry about that. That's all right. What I said was so mind blowing. He just dropped something. No, um, that's right. The the microphone that was your, your noise. The microphone just dropped. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's so someone's paying for it. It's almost like, well, this is what my audience wants, you know, and and. But oftentimes, but if but but if I feel like it's not doing justice to the characters or the story, but yeah, someone has to make that decision no matter what. So it's um it's a constant challenge. I don't think it ever ever will will stop. Yeah, no, it's so powerful what you do, and I just love how you also talked about it's more than just writing. Like when you text somebody, you don't know the meaning behind what they text. They could text something lighthearted. And then you read it and you put your interpretation on it and being able to do film, like you said, where it's just not words, it's visual audio and there's music along with it. So you're able to convey so many subconscious messages and moods and feelings and emotions. And it's so powerful, the cinematography behind it and the stuff you do is pretty incredible. I checked out a few of you, a few of the things that, that you've put together. Now, you're still in Indiana. Is that correct? Yeah, I was meant to leave uh, and I never did. I, I say momentum kept me here uh, in one place. It's a uh, yeah. So I'm still I'm I've 
never lived anywhere else besides Indiana. So I, but I'm from Northwest Indiana originally kind of up near, near Chicago uh, area uh, or for people who don't, the lake part of Indiana, the Indiana has a lake uh, just like this tiny little sliver. And we've like, you know, we kind of ruined half the beaches with steel mills, but you know, that's Indiana for you. Where, where uh, are you from Gary? <laughs> uh, my mom's from Gary. So yeah, my, my mom uh, is from Gary as well. Born and raised oh, her whole family. All right. Wait, so we'll have to we'll have to do that that whole dance because my uh, depending on the age, my mom like knew everyone. Uh, so my grandpa, uh, he he was a he ran a bunch of liquor stores uh, in Gary. That was kind of his uh, business, liquor stores and a dry cleaner and just random businesses. But uh, yeah, I was like, there, there could be a connection there or maybe, you know, they pop by the liquor store sometime. <laughs> That is a that is a definite possibility. They were steel mill workers and they lived a hard life post depression, everything. So there is a chance that they know each other pretty well. So let me ask the question because I just don't know. My assumption is if you want to get into film or anything like that, you would be moving to LA, possibly New York. And you said that didn't happen to you. What was the reason behind it? And is that assumption correct that a lot of people do go to Hollywood, so to speak, when they're trying to make something out of film? Yeah. Yeah. So there's still truth to that. And it just depends on the type of thing you want to do. And I think I also happened to graduate college right at the time of the, they call it, I guess they call it the DSLR revolution. And that was when photo cameras were able to shoot good video so you could shoot decent video on like what looked like a photo camera um and and actually have pretty decent results so that really started to kind of democratize uh filmmaking in a lot of ways and it was happening before then so yeah i thought i was going to go to la or new york or austin was kind of um butting up as a scene and now atlanta is a viable choice as well actually a pretty huge choice and if you want to go work on a marvel movie um or if you want to work on kind of those big big films. Uh, yeah, you still, you still got to go to one of those hubs because, um, or at least if you want to do be in production or be a producer or be a director. And if you want to work on big Hollywood films, yes, you probably should go to a coast. And I had some friends do that started as a PA and then, you know, depending on what route, if they wanted to go into camera route, then they, they have to get into, maybe they become a two AC. There's all this like lingo and jargon, like, which is a second, uh, assistant camera person, uh, who's just helping basically give the first assistant camera person like lenses or helping with camera reports. And so you work your way up this like union chain. That's one route. And so I had some friends do that. And I was like, ah, I don't feel like getting coffee for people. Um, and I'm not just going to go out and, you know, say I'm a director or say I'm a producer. Oftentimes you have to work in the business and, and, and kind of build up to, to get to that point. But there's another way too, where and lots of people, you know, maybe just make a successful film and then kind of come in the back door. Um, so I just decided early on that I didn't need to, I didn't need to go. I wanted ownership over what I did instead. Uh, I want. I didn't care if I was making. I started out. I got a job out of college making videos for like a local telephone company that had like it was called My Smithville. They had like a little, you know, website where they put like local videos. So you can imagine me, I did a little bit more on camera for these at that point. Um, just because I wanted to make it more interesting, like go out to the Monroe County fair and make a video. All right, go to the Steinsville quarry festival, the Linton strawberry festival. So I'm driving around by myself, you know, going and making at the time, like not glamorous videos, but I got to, I got to shoot it. I got to I say direct it. There's no directing when you're just filming people eating, you know, fucking uh, Twinkie hot dog at a fair or like <laughs> you're like, hey, can I film you eating? OK, cool. There's thanks for eating that bite. That looks great. But I also got to edit it, do the graphics, put the music in and just get reps in. And so that was kind of what I want to do. I was like, I don't really care what I'm doing. I just want to get reps. Uh, and so I think if you want to go work on a big film, yeah, I got to go out of here. So I I just started doing that and then ended up quitting that and, and going freelance and my, my business partner, she was a photographer and designer. And, um, she, I was working, I remember working at Smithville and she kept trying to throw me freelance gigs. And I was like, ah, I only have five days of vacation, you know, which is cruel by the way. Like that's just not enough for just out of college. I'm like, come on, you guys can do more than five days. Right. Um, oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And so I just kept having to turn down all these gigs and I said, what am I doing? You know? And, and so I quit and, and just went full freelance mode and again, got reps in it. I didn't care what it was. I remember the biggest job to me at one point was like something that now I wouldn't look at as a big job. It's like how that, that kind of shifts. Like the biggest thing in the world to me was, um, doing a video for like a winery, like a local winery, which is a great winery and shout out to them. They're still amazing. But at that time, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm working on the coolest thing ever. It's not a county fair. Uh, but I think I treated every project with that same kind of, OK, how do I make this this as good as possible with my current skill set, which at that time was like me going out by myself and filming stuff, which is hard, um, but it forces you to learn. So it forces yeah, you it, to be creative, too. It forces me to learn. And then when opportunities did come. And I did start working with bigger crews. I, I was ready. Um, and I, I developed a wide skill set where like now, like I can do every job. I don't go on set very much, but I can do all the jobs on set. Um, and so you know what I'm, to expect too, from yeah. the people you're working with. Right. Exactly. Like I've done it. I've been there. I've done hard things. And now, um, I enjoy kind of, I enjoy, I like going on set still. Uh, when I go on set, I'm not doing what I used to do. I'm more just kind of checking in with client, checking in with crew, directing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I didn't have to go be a PA and I'm glad I didn't because it's, it felt so much more fun to have ownership over everything. Even it sounds the like, little project. It sounds like what your decision was totally in line because if you did go to the assembly line of Marvel movies or big Hollywood, you would essentially be stuck in their system. Whereas you went into the trenches, you did the hard work, but like you said, it gave you reps, repetition, doing everything from setting up to filming, to breaking down, to modifying, to editing, to doing every single thing, just like a small business owner. And your acceleration curve for your learning is exponential when you do that. And like you said, you were doing small projects, which is great too, because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to, you probably look back at those videos and be like, oh my goodness, I did that? No, no, I, so. Yeah, I would, I would show my students, like I taught, uh, I did te teaching at IU, I, I'm taking a semester off right now um, for a big project, but I would show them like an early project and just say like, it's okay. Like I thought this was the best thing ever or at the time. And you know, it's, it's okay to kind of close that, that gap. It's, you have to put that, that effort in. Um, somebody told me something or no, it was an Ira glass video that popped up and it's this whole speech he gives about closing the gap and saying it's taste that matters in creative field. It's not necessarily, it's if you make something and you're not happy with it, that's a good thing. Because that means too that you know, you're aware. You're like, okay, I know I can get here. I just need to do the reps between here and here to get there. And yeah. Yeah, you got to understand that it's an iterative process. You just go, give it your best. Whatever comes out, it's not going to be perfect. Perfection is a, is a lie. It's a myth. Just give it your best effort with the skill set you have at that time. And then review it because you're going to get better. You're going to get yeah. more reps in. You're going to increase your level, raise your standards. And as long as you're paying attention to that and also enjoying the little wins, like you said, getting that winery, that was a huge win at the time. Now, not so much, but you're in a different place. That old Marcus Aurelius, that wasn't even Marcus Aurelius. That was, no, he was, did that not was exist. early age lesser, Kevin Weaver. Yeah. Yes. That was a, uh, a lesser Roman for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that was a plebe, uh, or pleb. I don't know. I don't know how you say it. Well, and when you were talking about the, um, you know, making mistakes, I, I think, you know, a superpower that I probably, uh, I got the for developed and I think maybe also liked running the whole project was if I made a mistake, I became good at hiding it. And 
not in in the way that I was okay with making a mistake because I knew I could fix it uh, in editing, and that became what I became best at, uh, and that is still what I what I feel like I'm best at, and then what you know our company really really excels at is is post production and editing, and I think that came out of a necessity. I was like, oh, that didn't work out how I wanted. Well, okay, I got this computer, and I can sit here and I can I can figure it out when no one's breathing over my neck, and and I can. I can find my way out of this. And I think that was always, uh, now then it becomes, uh, after a while you, when you become too reliant on that, then you don't plan enough for your shoot. And so it can become, you know, uh, a counter, uh, it can become a crutch as well. So I've had to go between that battle where I'm like, Oh, I shouldn't rely on editing. I should probably plan a little bit better. You kind of, <laughs> it's a, it's a delicate those, balance. Yeah. It sounds like. Yes. I was like, Oh, I could have just avoided that mistake. That would have been better than me having to spend, you know, 10 hours, trying to rotoscope something or, you know, like whatever I had to end up doing. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, for those of you listening, Kevin is the CEO of Blue Line, a creative production studio specializing in video and photography that delivers meaningful stories to their audiences, driving human connection. Check out their website at thisisblueline.com. You can also find Kevin's work on IMDb. Just look up Kevin Weaver and also follow them on Instagram, Instagram, Instagram at this is blue line. So I, at the intro of the show, I named some pretty heavy hitters and my family, friends in the Bay area would freaking crucify me if I didn't ask you this question, because one of your clients is Ruckatin and the Golden State Warriors are big sponsors of Rakuten, namely the best player in the planet, maybe even throughout the history of the NBA, Stephen Curry. Tell me you've met Stephen Curry. Tell me you can introduce me to him, please. Is <laughs> so there this a story is there? There is a story, and this is one of those interesting things about sometimes uh, <laughs> being the owner of the business means I don't get to do the cool shit. It means uh, sometimes I do, and I've done some cool shit, and I and I love those you know stories, and 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 so I I did not get to meet uh, Stephen Curry because I chose not to go on that shoot. Um, I could have forced myself onto it, but there was other people who were gonna um, do better, and I I was planning. I had I was visiting my grandma uh, and my uh, down in Florida, and it. I could have shuffled things around and, and kind of forced, but it, it was against, it, it didn't make sense. And that was the last time I saw her. Uh, so I, I don't regret that. Um, but I, I could have gone to shoot, but Ben and, uh, you know, my team, uh, they all, they all met him and said he was, uh, amazing. Uh, and just so, so kind and uh, really giving of his time. So that was a really cool, that was a job that I got, we got a call and it was like, we had seven days to do pre-production and then be in Japan in seven days and then film in three days. And we had to finish the edit in like 30 days. It was, it was insane. So I spent, I spent some time on in the front half, helping plan everything. And, you know, again, so sometimes being the owner is great. And then sometimes being the owner means I'm enabling other people, uh, for, for success. So I like did the planning. I did all the worry, but I didn't get the reward. You know, I, I did all the stressing about it. I'm like, are they there? Like what's going on? Um, so no, but I did meet Judith Light, so from Miss White Light, uh, and uh, and I got to edit Danny Glover. Uh, I got to edit footage of him. So I got I got those I got those things, but no no Steph Curry. So got a whole lot for that I, one. I can relate though. When I was a structural inspector back in California, there was a local newscaster, Dan Ashley. I got to meet him, and I used to watch him growing up as a child. So when I got to this like really nice house in Walnut Creek, I looked around. I was like man, this must be a nice client. And then this guy steps out and he's not wearing his suit, but his hair's parted perfectly. And he was just like the nicest guy. And I was just, I was like, I know you're a news anchor, but I grew up with you. Like, this is so weird right now. But then other times, like, I don't know if you know, well, probably do Barry Bonds. Oh yeah. Uh, San Francisco Giants baseball player. We got a call to inspect his house but my boss, the owner of the company went to that one. So he chose <laughs> to personally yeah. do that inspection and I didn't hear about it, but after I heard about it, I was, I was a little, little pissed. Let's just say, cause Barry Bonds 
was my actual hero growing up. I love that guy. I don't care what people said about steroid use. Everybody, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, all those guys were using roids at that time. So Barry Bonds, you should be in the Hall of Fame. And I'm putting it on record because I love that man. And I got to meet him at a golf tournament years later. Nicest guy, not nearly as big as when he was on roids. His head got a lot smaller. So you could tell that he wasn't roiding anymore, but phenomenal human being, great man. And, but that's how it is as a business owner, right? Sometimes you get to do really cool things, but other times you get to empower your team and then they just come out with these incredible stories. Yeah. I mean, hearing the story, I was actually just hearing their stories and looking at pictures from, from the Japan trip was, it was rewarding in its own own way. Um, and it was a win and it was a win for the company. You know, it was a, it was that one thing that's like, now that's on our, our reel. Uh, you know, we can't, you can't take that away. Like you said, it did exactly what it was supposed to do. We put that picture on the website because that is the most recognizable person uh, that that we've got to work with. And our, you know, the goal of the website is people think we're experts. You know, um, well, so you guys are hopefully, experts. Hopefully, hopefully <laughs> yeah, I know. I will, that's a whole other story, right? The uh, the imposter syndrome that I feel like uh, I'm. I've much better. I think I finally come to grips with it and said, "Oh, I know stuff. Cool." But that was years in the. Uh, years in the making. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I talk a lot about saboteurs on this show. And we went to Undisputed Mastery together a month or two ago. And it's a, uh, those saboteurs come out every day. And it's so interesting because just in the words we say, like these stories we tell ourselves, and, you know, I catch myself all the time with the language that I use. And so even on this show, I'll stop. And then I'll re-say it because it's so important to to fight those saboteurs because a lot of times it's subconscious. We don't even know we're saying things like that. And um, and I appreciate you sharing that because imposters, a lot of people, especially perf- performers like us, people who are really driven and motivated business owners, entrepreneurs, a lot of times, yeah, we're like, is this really me? Am I can I really do this? Like I've come onto the show just like shaking at times. I've gotten better getting more reps in like we talked about, but there were many times where I felt like my voice was shaking and the voice in my head is telling me, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not going to do this. You're not going to inspire people or anything like that. And all of it is complete bullshit, first of all. But now I appreciate you saying that because it's, it's every day. We deal with these saboteurs every single day. It's the truth. And I'm trying to be more uh, honest is definitely with myself. First of all, is one of the things that definitely came out of, you know, undisputed mastery. And I, I just remember going to teach class and feeling like nervous that my students were going to think I didn't know enough because I couldn't explain, uh, you know, aspect ratio well enough. And so like I and and I'm sitting there being like worried when I'm going to teach to, you know, me basically. 12 years ago. And at the, what I usually ends up happening is like, I actually give them way too much information about the thing. And, you know, it, but I would be like, Oh, I have to teach that today. Oh man. Uh, and I'd be worried. And, and it's just to catch yourself being like, I'm worried to go do this, but I, I know that yeah, basically I'm saying I totally understand it comes up that, that fraud, uh, kind of thing still comes up. And if you don't watch it, it'll never go away. Even when you hit that level of success. Um, Cause I can just, I can still look at where I'm at now and be like, Oh yeah, but I only did. Post-production. It. I, I only edited that. I didn't produce it. Uh, or, or I only did this on it and I could have done this or I haven't written my own movie. Uh, so that it's so easy to, yeah. Or I think what maybe you were saying in your book was go on to the next thing. You're like what's next? What's next? Oh yeah. Yeah. Mine was like done next done next don't pat yourself on the back if you did well if you did bad scold and it it, the the image i use as a coach like a bad coach that just yells at at the kids and and if they win it's to be expected right and if you lose then it's the end of the world and that's that was one of my saboteurs is that inner coach that negative coach and it was exhausting and i like what you said about they're always going to be around. So it's so important to choose who you feed. Are you feeding the sages, the good people, the good people in your head that are rooting you on, that are pushing you forward, that give you a reality check, not in a harsh way to make you feel bad 
or anything like that, but like to uplift you and say, okay, you, you might've got this wrong, but that's not you. You can fix this. We can move forward. You can do it again. Like put in the reps, made mistakes. Well, they're not mistakes. They're learning opportunities. They're obstacles. They're challenges. And once you start feeding them through your thoughts, your words, and your daily discipline, I call them deeds, thoughts, words, and deeds. Once those are feeding those sages more often than the saboteurs, it gets them stronger. Whatever we focus on, whatever we feed, if we feed our bodies crap, we're going to look and feel like crap. But if we feel, fuel our bodies with good, wholesome food, we're going to have more energy. We're going to feel we're going to look better. And it's the same thing with our, the voices in our head, our, our thoughts, the words we use. And then subsequently the actions that we take from them. Yeah. And it's so easy to get, you know, lost in that. I, I, for so long, I used, um, fear, uh, I use fear as a, a motivator. Uh, I use fear and, um, scarcity. And I, I would almost like manufacture these crises, uh, to force myself into action. And that's, that's part of the, the, the procrastination and ADHD, uh, to the point where I, I would get it done, but it would be at a cost it would be at a cost to myself. Like I would not eat well. I would stay up. I would, you know, I'd do whatever it took and I'd, I'd get the job done and I'd have a victory, but it would be out of this. It would be like my motivation for it was, Oh shit, I got to get it done. I'm not good enough. So I got to get it done. It's gotta be awesome. And I'm gonna, I gotta sit down and edit all night and come up with fucking magic. And, and it took a while to get out, out of that, um, space. And I think for, for creatives, oftentimes that that's tough too. like substance abuse and, um, you know, it's, I would use something to get through something like whatever it was, it, it could be, it could be, you know, Taco Bell at the middle of the night. It could be, you know, cigarette, alcohol, just whatever. I'd like, I needed a, a bribe almost. And it took a long time to, to shed that. So it's even when you see, you know, all these great things that people have done, you know, sometimes the question is, well, at what cost? <laughs> right. And right. so I'm almost lowering my expectations. I'm like, I'm not trying to, it, this is new. I'm trying less to accomplish things and more to just accomplish things at a sustainable pace. And I think that is something that in the, even in the last year wasn't, it's been getting better, but I think in the last year has been a focus. Okay. I, I need to do that, but without with a clementine instead of <laughs> something else. <of> whiskey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, fear can be a very good motivator, but it's not sustainable. Right. I've used fear like, oh, shoot. Final coming up like in college, right? I didn't study. So now I got a cram. It didn't happen often, but I did use fear. And in, in, in my real life, I use fear. But yeah, use it enough. And then bad habits start creeping in. And that's your Alcohol. pattern, right? That was, mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. Yes, that was so. my pattern. So I was like, now I'm going to, I think I have some posters back there. I think one, I should take the ones down that weren't like a successful mental health project. So I think one of those can stay up. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I was like, I got to replace them with, with new ones that are, yeah, done from a better state. That's right. One thing that was taught to me recently, I live in an apartment by myself. And I've been here for, I don't know, six, eight months, something like that. But for the first, well, until about a couple of weeks ago, all my walls were completely bare. And uh, Tuhan had told me, Harley Tuhan, that I need to put up my victories. Not for, hey, look at me, look at what I did. I'm so great. But to remind me of the good things that I've done in my life, the things I'm really proud of. I don't, I have a master's from, Berkeley. And I am proud of that. I am very proud of it, but I don't have it parading saying, okay, here's my degree from Berkeley, the prestigious, and it is the prestigious structural engineering university in the country. Like, look at me. It's like, no, like I busted my ass. I did a one year master. I didn't think I could do it. And I (laughs) killed myself. And I had really good support from my parents, my friends, my classmates. And we rocked it and made it happen and graduated all of us in one year. So I'm really proud of that. I'm not using it as a way to, for significance right behind me. You can see is a picture of Joshua Gillow and I 
when we climbed our first 14er. I am so proud of that moment. I was so scared when I got to that mountain. I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. And it was like three in the morning when we got there. And I'm just looking up at this insane mountain and it's pitch black, but the mountain's glowing because of the moon. And I'm like, what the fuck did I just get myself into? I'm going to die on this mountain. And we did it. We pushed ourselves hard. And so putting up things like this, reminders of what we love, the people we love, the experiences we've had, things that are meaningful to us is so important to surround yourself. Cause then when those saboteurs come in, you could look up and be like, Oh yeah, you son of a bitch. I just scaled that fucking mountain. Fuck you. That's not, you're not me. You don't control me. I control you. Go back in your box. Sages. Right. Let's rock this. I love that. Everything's more than what it looks like which is the degree is more than the degree. I, now that you say that, I, I look in my background, I'm like, each one of those is a year of my life, basically. And there's there's other ones that just aren't up, that, but those are just the first three I got to. I did the same thing. It's like, I, we still have some blank walls in this house, but I was just like, I'm, I got to put something up uh, on the wall. Like, it's, it's, it's time. Um, because otherwise, it's like, oh, I did that. I forgot about it almost, but it is a reminder that I can do hard things, you know? Uh, what, whatever yeah, you, that is and you need those reminders like I've, I've got my we fight to win bracelet on i've got my my token next to me from um srt5 the um, texas rangers that i work with and so i always have these reminders with me i brought that token to the grand canyon a few weeks ago when we hiked the grand canyon because i wanted all of those texas rangers and their families to be with me in spirit as I did something really hard and had to push myself. Cause then I could call upon them to help give me strength. And that's what a lot of these artifacts, you could call them artifacts. You can call them anchors. They are so important to have on your body, in your house, around you, because they remind you of who you really are. And it, it is not an understatement to say just doing artifacts or anchors, necklace, bracelet, article of clothing. I got my ace belt on right now. I wear it every show. It's got the ace of spades belt buckle. I freaking love this belt buckle. It makes me step in to ace, the persona that is just a man on a mission to change people's lives and to change my life for the better. So I appreciate you sharing that because it's so important for us to surround ourselves with love and support and feed those sages. Amen. I, I couldn't have said it better. That's, it's something that I'm, I'm working on more because I think at first when the idea of like sages was introduced, I was like, that's silly. You know, like at first when it was introduced, I think then after UM, I realized how, how powerful it was. And that's where, you know, I kind of came up with the, the Marcus Aurelius was, it was, someone who I aspire to be more like, uh, and to, and that has qualities that, that I have that weren't coming out as much as I wanted to, you know, leadership, but from a sense of not from a sense of, um, egotism, you know, more about virtue than accomplishment and, and just really focusing on, on those things. Whereas in the past, like I was probably driven more by like selfish, you know, reasons and, and, and now it's, it's, it, this is helping me change, like identifying Marcus Aurelius as a, you know, an aspirational, uh, person to live up to, to look to in history, uh, that I can, you know, talk to or, or read, read his writings. Like, so I, I think I love that, like about it. It's like, oh, there's a person who's existed on this earth, um, who I respect and, and I want to focus more to be like that. Um, it's a it's high standard. Yes, I said exactly. I want to. I, I like. I like hard things. So I said something. Yeah, that's very, very challenging. Very well, daily. You are you are Marcus Aurelius, man. And as long as that's your standard, and it has to be a high standard, if you want to do anything meaningful in life, embody that. Push for that every single day. And change will happen and it will happen fast because it will go from your conscious down into your subconscious. And now it's pretty much on autopilot and you will just see changes 
instantly. You're already a very successful man, a very motivated and driven man. But having that tool at your disposal, that's a game changer. You go from being a hero to a superhero, from having a power to truly having a superpower just by embodying that. My guy is Ace. Ace is the man. Yeah. And when Ace shows up, you better watch out because he's going to get shit done. He's going to do it right. He's also loving, caring, graceful, and very much supportive of people and everything that comes with it. But he draws hard lines too. So don't fuck with him. And Marcus Aurelius is a complete badass. And I love that that is your superhero name because you do embody a lot of the amazing qualities that that man has. Um, one thing I want to talk about is your films. Is there a project that you're especially proud of something that sticks out in your mind that was just powerful for you that transformed your life? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a couple, I'll focus on one though. Um, it's just because I worked on it more. I would say that just one that is really powerful that people should check out um, that I worked on as you know an editor and producer, but really Tucker on my team, it's his it's his project. Like he's the one who was the the auteur or the, the the person who went out and got it right. So credit to him for for doing that. But feel a vision with Lonnie Lonnie Bedwell, uh, who's a blind the first blind veteran or sort of sorry the first blind person he happens to be a veteran um, who kayaked the Grand Canyon. Uh, we made a, a short documentary with him. That's the one that, that we sold to REI. Um, it's incredible. And, and he, Lonnie's just an inspiration and just a, just a good person. Um, so I would say that that is just worth checking out feel a vision because it is so inspiring. And, and it was probably one of the first projects we made that I guess got us into the point where we realized we could make good documentary films it was one of the it was kind of that first not one of the first ones that had decent critical you know um people liked it made people cry which is what made people cry and laugh which is my favorite emotion laugh cry like that's like that's like the sweet spot right there but the one that uh is probably my favorite project is um it was called it was for the big 10 network uh it's called the big story george talaferro uh and it's about the first black american drafted in the nfl and that story was near and dear to my heart um, because I remember we we interviewed George Telefer. He's a he played at IU. He was on IU's like only you know Big Ten championship football team back in like 1949. We've had a difficult uh, football history since then in the Big Ten. Basically, you know, star star running back. He played seven positions. He was a uh, back because it was early oh, wow. football. Yeah, he you know. Uh, and I think there's some arguments, but I, I couldn't verify that he might have been one of the, the first black quarterback in the NFL, too. But he wasn't rostered as that. But he would play, you know, he would take snaps and throw the ball. Um, so there's some arguments there. But that project was dear to me because I interviewed him for while he was still alive for like an IU football project and then did nothing with it. It was always one of those things where I it almost like felt like oh, I wanted I wish I'd done more. I do remember we interviewed him. We were only supposed to have him do a voiceover for this commercial. Um, we said, let's interview him. And we turned it into like this bigger project, but I made like a five minute video about him and, you know, some stuff at IU. And one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't interview him longer then. I focused mostly on like what we were talking about in the football commercial. But because I had this interview, um, I always knew I wanted to do more on George because no one no one knew who he was and it was ashamed to me because he was one of those people who the power of his, his voice and what he did. I mean, it, it reads, you know, the, I read, you know, his biography reads like a, a movie. He stood up to, you know, discrimination in so many different ways throughout his football career and beyond, you know, after that, he, he wrote the first affirmative action plan for Indiana and, um, just kept giving back to people. He was mentors to like guys who would play on the IU basketball team in the seventies that everybody knows. I should know their names more, but he, he was a, such a good person. But because we did that interview, uh, I pitched it to big 10 during the pandemic where I just, I said, have you guys ever done anything on George? And they, they told me to put together a pitch and we turned it into a uh, 56 minute documentary and got to meet his 
he, he wasn't up with us anymore, but we got to use the old interview and met his family. Uh, his daughters were, were so kind. Like we, you know, they let us dig through the garage. Like we dug through all of their family history, digitized uh, their home movies. Like they let us in and that project, you know, uh, Tucker and I directed it together, but it felt important. It was, it was important. It still is. And it exists. And now people are going to be able to watch that on the big 10 network. Um, so you gotta get on the big 10 network or BTN plus, if you want to see it, um, be able to see it for, for years to come. So that, that to me was like a project that I was the right person to make it. I had that interview and, and just created it, you know, willed it into existence basically. So to me, long winded version of that project was, is the favorite project I've worked on. And, and it's, I think it's going to be hard to, to find something that feels like that. Um, you know, was, that project took, took you a, a year of a year of my life. Um, and I would, I almost, I remember when I was done with it or even maybe a couple months after I felt like I missed him. And it's a weird thing to say, cause I've been spending so much time with him. Um, not really George, you know, but I've been spending time with the interviews. I've been spending time and it was a bizarre feeling to be like, I miss being in this space where I got to focus on one big project. Cause you know, most of my days are, are spent. All right. You work on this edit and you work on this edit. So, um, yeah, that project was something special. That's incredible. I really, it just gives me goosebumps, goosebumps, um, goosebumps when you say that films like that need to be shown stories like that need to be told. I can't imagine what that guy went through. He persevered. He pushed. He was a badass, but continued even after his playing career, which is so difficult. I know for a lot of top performers because they, so much of their identity is wrapped in their, their sport. And his identity was not the sport. His identity, it sounds like was something much bigger than that. And that's what drove him. He had a very strong mission, a very strong why, and you can move mountains with that. And I really love how you said you willed this project into existence. We get caught up so many times thinking that things are impossible. Well, the minute we tell ourselves something's impossible, we just made it impossible. And by you willing this into existence, we can will anything into existence. We just need to believe it enough, have faith and just keep pushing every day. And I really appreciate you sharing that. So for those of you listening, once again, it's called The Big Story. You can find it on the Big Ten Network. It's uh, the story, the real life story of George Cunningham. And I will I'll, definitely Talia check Farrow. that out. Talia Farrow. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's an Italian name. Talia Farrow. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Perfect. Um, so what, um, we're, we're getting close to it. So I'm, I'm going to leave you with this one question. It's not going to be a softball either. What course. do you see happening with yourself and your film and your company within the next five to 10 years? Uh. <laughs> you are the cat Invictus. You are the captain of your own ship. Where are you going to take this bad boy? Um, <laughs> I told you this wasn't going to be a softball. I know there's a, there's a lot of ways. That's what I'm figuring out right now. You know, I, I would say one of the things is I, I've been like not lowering. I want it to be a big thing that's been important to me is making it work for everybody uh, at the company. Um, and so Part of that is, you know, this year we just rolled out retirement, which felt really good. Um, and so I, I think the the first answer is is boring um, because I've spent so many time chasing. So I, sp I spent so much time chasing these big things that I, I just want it to be sustainable right now. Uh, and and I have I want it to be sustainable, but I want I want to really for us to fall into the seat of experts, and I want us to be um, you know to a point where we're sought after or a documentary based approach to uh, film filmmaking or even corporate video, but taking, you know, what is important. Um, you know, we have a, a mantra we're calling make it memorable. And that is what, uh, where I want to take us. I want those stuff we do 
even if it's, you know, whether it's a film or not a film, I want it to be something that is memorable. Uh, and that can mean a lot of, a lot of different things. So I want to, I want to move in that direction. We have some, you know, we have some ideas for some, some shows and some films that we, we'd love to create. So I would like to get to a point where I am able to find some more connections to get funding for some of the, what I've called in the past passion projects are, because that's kind of what, what I'm bumping up against. We have some really cool things we want to make, but it's finding, um, finding the budgets for it. So I, I would like to work more in, if I, if, if we're talking about kind of dreams and visions, I would rather the stuff we do make more of an impact than than some of the things we do and that's not to say we don't love all the things we do but um if we can get to a point where you know sustainability in the business is my first kind of mantra right now i really want to take care of the folks who've been you know some people put 10 years in now or as well and and so it working um well is something i'm i'm really focusing on well, for those which is you, less of my personal vision, you know, I'm, I'm trying to drop yeah. my personal vision and. Um, well, I, I think, yeah. it, I think that shows tremendous growth as a business owner, because especially being in filmmaking, you can see the stars and push for the biggest and the best and awards here and there. And we haven't even touched on all the amazing awards that you and your crew have won and they are highly decorated. They know what they're doing. They've got their shit together, but I appreciate you being vulnerable and that that's not a weakness. Like you had to take a step back and be like, okay, let me take care of my people. Let me take care of my company because what we're doing is incredible. The things we have done are changing people's lives and I want to continue moving forward. So maintenance on, on the boat is a necessity and it is a, a necessary step. And a lot of times being a business owner myself, and I know this from personal experience, you can build a business way too fast and it just implodes. Ask me how I know. And <laughs> you're thinking of the long term, the long game. It's not sexy. It's not cool. But it's going to ensure that when you get through this and you will get through this very quickly, I'm sure. Then you're going to be able to deliver a much the product's already fantastic, but a much more sustainable business model that will ensure that these keep going and going and going. And so for those of you who are listening, how can, Kevin, how can they reach out to you? Because the stories you told are incredible. And if something's weighing on their heart, I want them to be able to reach you. I want them to be able to support you and possibly even fund some of these projects if anything calls out to them specifically. So how, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, just email. It's uh, Kevin at thisisblueline.com. So shoot me an email. I'm I'm one of those crazy uh, inbox zero people, so I'll get back to you. It may be a minute, but I will eventually. Uh, I say inbox zero, but um, I give myself like a week, but <laughs> usually. But yeah, I'm the I will, same way, man. I will, I will get there. <laughs> On a weekly basis, I go to the unsubscribe for stuff that somehow gets emailed to me. I, I spend probably a little too much time on unsubscribing, but I want everything that's important to come through so that I can yeah. give it my full attention. So that's incredible. Well, it's been amazing having you on. I really appreciate you sharing your story, opening up about your personal life, about Blue Line. Once again, for those of you who are listening, Kevin is the CEO of Blue Line, which is a creative production studio specializing in video and photography that delivers meaningful stories to their audiences, driving human connection. Go to their website. This is blueline.com. Follow them on Instagram. Instagram. I said it again. Instagram at this is blue line. I swear I talk for a living and I think I'm okay at it most of the time. So Instagram it is. Instagram. That's that's for the dark Instagram. It's the Halloween right. version. You know, it right the... now. Oh, I love Halloween. <laughs> Uh, we can just See, be doing Instagram hour on Halloween. right there. You could totally, <laughs> you could, you could, you could coin that. Ace, thank you so much. This has been uh, a pleasure. And, you know, um, I, as a listener uh, of the podcast as well, and, and a reader of the book, um, I have not, I've not gotten it. I've gotten pretty, pretty deep into it. So anyone listening, if you haven't checked out Ace's book yet, it is one of those books where you love reading it. And then you're also like, oh man, I got to change my life. 
which is a good thing. <laughs> so it's uh, one of those books that gives you tools. And uh, so I've already been diving, diving into that. And uh, it's, it's, it's helping. It's almost like you meet people and you get things to happen at these weird times. And, and there is something um, about, you know, Undisputed Mastery meeting you, cracking open this book happened at the same time that all these other things were happening. So uh, it's just been a, a joy and, and a pleasure and uh, excited to, to see where everything goes and, and talk more in the future. I'm looking forward to it, man. And I know our friendship has just started, but I am so excited to nurture it, continue to grow it. And I'm so excited with what you're doing in the future. And honestly, if you ever get Steph Curry back, send me out on assignment. I will grab coffee for anybody and everyone for 18 hours straight. (laughs) If I could just even get close to that guy. To be a very qualified PA. That's great. (laughs) I'll work for free too. Uh, Unless you have to pay, unless you have to pay me, there might be some weird business laws or anything like that. But yeah, if if you find Steph Curry again, I will be there in a heartbeat grabbing coffee. I'll be the best damn coffee delivery, delivery boy there is. So, um, well, once again, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate you just being completely candid about everything. It it takes a very strong man to open up, especially since this is now going to be on, on the interwebs, so to speak on Instagram and all that stuff. So, um, (laughs) but for those of you who are listening, Kevin Weaver, blue line, incredible, incredible guest, incredible human, incredible person, amazing business owner and family, man, we didn't even touch on your family. But you are, from what I can tell on on your personal Instagram, lovely family. And I couldn't be happier to uh, know you. And for those of you, once again, who are listening, I'm going to leave you with one question. Who are you feeding? Are you feeding the sages? Are you feeding the saboteurs? Just ask yourself that question and... Once you're aware, you can start making changes. So with that said, peace out.